Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Emily Bosco. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And succeed in reading uh, parts of them. (laughs) Small parts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't... It's just a... It's funny, because that's the intro. And we don't read books unless the books were very short. We read pages. I think... <laughs> Look at me poking holes in the premise. You Sorry. have... Well, n- no, it's... The problem is I'll I think up. you have officially entered the, the phase of this podcast where you're thinking about it way too much. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Okay. It's, it's like... It. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to compare it to. Just, I don't just know. observing. It's, just observing. No, it's but all you're great. right. It's all great. You're right. We are only reading <laughs> portions of books. True. Um... Although sometimes they weren't even published in books, a lot of these stories were were first published in um, uh, in magazines uh, or newspapers. As <laughs> where we try to read those pamphlets that look really good on your shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where we try to read those advertisements that looked really good in the newspaper 138 years ago. It's just a much longer tagline. It doesn't yeah, yeah, have the, yeah. you know. No, we, yours is much better. Yours we is we go for better. we go for pithy over yeah. accurate. That seems to be like it. Just I don't know. It works better, you know. I love it. I love I'd, it. I'd I'd rather um, I'd rather sound smart than actually be smart. I think you're both. I think you sound and are smart. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. What do you think, listener? Tell me Show how some smart love in the DMs, I am because I've poked holes in his premise. <laughs> I, I really want your messages this week to be full of Ken. You're so smart. Mm-hmm. We love you, Ken. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> we don't love anyone as much as you. Okay. When you're not near us, we're blue. Oh, Ken, we love you. OK, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> uh, I stole that straight from Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oops, my musical knowledge is uh, sometimes woefully inadequate. Oh, <laughs> Never yeah. seen Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, uh, I'm not going to say you're not missing much because I'm <laughs> sure someone who listens to this podcast thinks it's great, but <laughs> you're not missing much. It's okay. We can all, <laughs> we can all have our opinions. <laughs> Um, it's not the greatest musical ever written, mm-hmm. uh, but there's there's some good stuff in it. What, in your opinion, is the greatest musical ever written? Uh, well, it's it's called Zombie the Musical, and not many people have seen it. It was produced in Philadelphia <laughs> in the 2009 Fringe Festival, uh, written written by a ragtag group of comedians and musicians. Um, do you do you know did, any of them? Do I you do. Know any of these I do. Comedians and musicians. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I know them all. I know them all. Wow. They're, they were the uh, good people. Every one of them. Yeah. Strong, salt of the earth. Oh, great, you know, great. American, blue blooded. Right. Well, I and all the listeners will have to go. Blue blooded <laughs> space alien Americans. <laughs> blue blooded. <laughs> what does that mean? Doesn't that mean like rich? Blue blood is rich. Right? Yeah. Blue bloods, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I went to blue blooded. Red blooded Americans. I used to also hear this thing in North Carolina. 
about the patrons, which is that they were blue hairs. But I was like, that's old. That means old, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I get those two confused often. Although the people who came to see us were mostly rich and old, so both both sayings would apply. So they were blue blooded blue hairs. Blue, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I didn't really get it because. Your hair doesn't quite turn blue when you're old, but I guess it turns that white translucent color. Do you know when it is blue? When it's that kind of gray color and you're seeing the stage lights reflect off of it. Oh, oh my God. You just blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I learn so much on this podcast every week. Edutainment. Yep. This is Campfire Classics, an edutainment (laughs) podcast where apparently we make fun of old people and rich people. (laughs) No, we're not making fun. I just... Fortunately... I just didn't know where the term came from. (laughs) Fortunately, there aren't any rich people who listen to this podcast (laughs) because they have better taste. No, I would love... No, I bet you somewhere out there, there's someone like, you know, stroking their pet tiger, just drinking a glass of the world's finest champagne in like a gold bathtub. Like, that Ken, he's so funny. (laughs) All right, Catherine, listen. I assume your name is Catherine. Miss Hepburn. Um, Catherine Hepburn. (laughs) Catherine Hepburn is one of our patrons. She came back from the dead just to listen to this podcast. She's like, I listened to it, I did. And she brought her pet tiger and gold bathtub with her, apparently. (laughs) That sounds about right to me. All right. That's how I like to envision her. All right, Catherine, I don't think you have blue hair. And I'm sure that if I cut you, your your blood would be red, just like... Mm anyone right. else right. um even though i'm not sure what your standing was during the communist scare i don't remember if she was one of the, those actors who got questioned oh yeah wait did they say something about communists blood was a different color well it's the idea is that true red-blooded uh, american rawr, yard, the <laughs> thing. bleed red like yeah duh, we all do <laughs> and apparently they're pirates yar i don't know uh, um, yeah, which is weird because I would think like communism, their color is red. Communists are red blooded. Right. Americans are also red blooded. People are red blooded. It's what we do. Red, white and blue. I bleed red, white and blue, <laughs> which really just means I'm super anemic about a third of the time. <laughs> So welcome to our literature podcast. <laughs> uh, Wait, let me try to do a really cool segue. Okay. So Ken, is our author this week a red-blooded American or are they from another country? <laughs> Such a bad segue. I tried, I tried. Uh, Did it sound smooth and natural? She, our, our, our author this week okay, is, she. is an American. She. However, she is a Marxist feminist. So I don't know if I'd call her a red-blooded American. She's a, huh. a dirty commie liberal. Great. Is, oh, yeah. Just my type of gal. Yeah. Um, so, dear listener, uh, mm-hmm. if this is your first time listening, and if we're doing our job right, every episode is somebody's first episode, although True. our numbers don't bear that out lately. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell them that. <laughs> um, uh, so if this is your first time listening, what we do here at Campfire Classics is take turns reading um, stories, short stories, not entire books because that would take far too long we choose stories that are in the public domain because that's the best way to not get sued by authors and um along the way we look up words that we don't recognize and we make fun of antiquated dialogue and um you know accidental euphemisms and the like 
But before we read the story every week, uh, we like to share some fun facts that pertain to the story, either about the story directly or about the author. Uh, In this case, I am going to talk a little bit about the author. Um, This week's story comes from an author that we have read before on the podcast, but not... I think, since Emily has been with us. Lovely. So this will be a new one for you, and I'm just going to give a sort of quick bio. Um, Her life was interesting, so it'll be a recap for our regular listeners, because you probably have forgotten, and it'll be an introduction for Emily. Mary E. Wilkins Freeman Uh, has written a couple of stories we've done here, including The Christmas Masquerade, in which a bunch of kids turned into whatever costume they put on at a Christmas party, and Luella Miller, a story centered around a Marxist feminist lesbian vampire. (laughs) That's awesome. A quick bio. Mary Ella Wilkins was born in 1852. She had a very strict childhood and religious constraints end up playing a key role in many of her works. Mm. Uh, Young Mary felt caught between the need for her mother's love and approval and an instinct to avoid becoming her mother, something that I think many young women can relate to. That's that's deep. That's... that's, uh... Yeah, that's some formative stuff right there. <laughs> um, she was forever being told to do her housework and then would be found somewhere quiet reading or writing or Aww. just basically not doing housework. Um, she has been it, it has been said that she seemed to be actively avoiding being a good girl. Ooh, I like a rebel. Unlike her sister who did everything right. Mm hmm. Uh, Her career as a short story writer launched in 1881 when she took first place in a short story contest with her submission, The Ghost Family. Her early works tended to combine domestic realism with supernatural elements. Um, Her father died suddenly two years later in 1883, leaving her without any immediate family left. Her mother had died a couple of years earlier. Uh, And an estate worth $973. Today, that's about $27,000. So a decent chunk, but not like not enough to live on, you know, not for long anyway. Uh, so she, uh, returned to her hometown. She moved in with a friend named Mary J. Wales, and she began writing as her only source of income. Nice. She produced more than two dozen volumes of published short stories and novels. Through her many different genres of work, including children's stories, poems, and short stories of all kinds, she always sought to demonstrate her values as a feminist. Uh, During the time that she was writing, she did this in non-conventional ways. For example, she diverged from making her female characters weak and in need of help from a man. Love it. (laughs) Which was how women were written. Um... During a visit to New Jersey in 1892, she met Dr. Charles Manning Freeman, a non-practicing medical doctor who was seven years younger than her. After years of courtship, in fact, 10 years of courtship, they finally got married in 1902. Unfortunately, Mary's husband suffered from alcoholism and an addiction to sleeping powders. He also had a reputation for enjoying fast horses and loose women. Uh, 
He was committed to the New Jersey State Hospital for the Insane in Trenton, and the two legally separated a year later. Oh, my. After his death in 1923, he left the majority of his wealth to his chauffeur and one dollar to his wife. Get out of here. I mean, from the beginning, the, okay, not, a, non, <laughs> a person who goes to medical school to become a doctor and then does not practice medicine, red flag number one. And then 10, year, 10 years is a long time not to put a ring on it today. Back then? I'm like, buddy, I'm going to be dead in another 10. You better, like, let's go. She should have had, like, 10 kids by that point. Well, and probably, she was probably especially feeling it because she was seven years older than him already. Oh, my God. Okay, so. A no good scoundrel. No good scoundrel. Alcoholic. And medicine is a noble profession, but that's a no good scoundrel. Well, it would be a noble profession if If you practiced it. it. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Do it. Yep. Uh... Some of her legacy Uh, in April 1926, uh, Freeman became the first recipient of the William Dean Howells Medal for Distinction in Fiction from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. She in 1930, uh, age 77, uh, suffered a heart attack and died. She's buried at Hillside Cemetery in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Mm. So that's a little bit about. Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. Uh, Today, you're going to be reading The Shadows on the Wall from her collection of short stories titled The Wind in the Rosebush. Oh, that's a good title. Let's start this fire. The Shadows on the Wall by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. Was she English? No. Remember, you asked at the beginning if this week's author was American, and I said yes, but she was a Marxist and a feminist. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Ken, I am not listening to you. (laughs) He's just blinking at me, just just blinking irately. Okay, very sorry. I have a bad bad memory. I'm sorry. I get that a lot. Nobody ever listens when I talk. I'm so sorry. That's why podcasting was a bad choice for me. Honestly, I was chiefly asking because I wanted to know what accents I might expect. But here we go. So here's the thing about accents in these stories. Good thing we... I'm just going to... Let's go ahead and douse the fire. We'll start it up again in a minute. Here's the (laughs) thing about accents in these stories. It doesn't seem to matter. Great. Because the number of times I've been like, oh, no, don't worry. You won't have to do a German accent and a Russian accent and a French accent again. I picked an English author. (laughs) And then the first three people to speak, it's it's like it starts off as like a a joke. It's like a German, (laughs) a Frenchman and a Russian walk into a bar. (laughs) Fuck. Well, I'm also I like to I like to use them to distinguish people. Okay, I'm just going to do my thing. All right. So let's restart the fire. There we go. It's burning. <laughs> Henry had words with Edward in the study the night before Edward died. So you made her English anyway. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, I just said, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my thing Great. and you're going you're to deal it. with it. I will deal. I want to distinguish between these ladies. Great. Okay. Said I... Caroline Glynn. She's the English one who's, not, right. who's not English. <laughs> she sweet, spoke. Sweet Caroline is English. Gotcha. Correct. Ba, ba, ba. She spoke not with acrimony, but with grave severity. Rebecca Ann Glynn gasped by way of assent. 
She sat in a wide flounce of black silk in the corner of the sofa and rolled terrified eyes from her sister Caroline to her sister Mrs. Stephen Brigham, who had been Emma Glynn, the one beauty of the family. If you, dear listener, like me, are going, I've heard the word acrimony, but I don't remember what it means. Ah. It means bitterness or ill feeling. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for that. Yep. <laughs> the latter was beautiful still, with a large, splendid, full-blown beauty. The latter was beautiful? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. I assume that's ladder with T's, not Latcher. ladder with D's. Yes, okay. <laughs> that that ladder was rocking a booty. <laughs> no. Which is good. You want a ladder with a big booty that's so true. it stays stable. Very stable, built like a brick house. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the latter, <laughs> who is um, Caroline's sister, Mrs. Stephen Brigham, previously Emma Glynn, the one beauty of their family. Mm-hmm. So she goes by many names. She, the latter, was beautiful still, with a large, splendid, full-blown beauty. She filled a great rocking chair with her superb bulk of femininity. Whoa. Okay, okay. So she's thick. I feel like this is kind of a read, but okay. And swayed gently back and forth, her black silks whispering and her black frills fluttering. Even the shock of death, for her brother Edward lay dead in the house. What? Whoa. What is going on in this story? It's already crazy. We got a sexy ladder. We got a curvy chick all in black, and we got a dead body on the floor. Yep. Could so even the shock of death for her brother Edward lay dead in the house could not disturb her outward serenity of demeanor. The thick lady will not be bothered. Well, it's it is hard to perturb a goth chick. Yeah, that's true. That's They're true. just stalwart. <laughs> But even her expression of masterly placidity changed before her sister Caroline's announcement and her sister Rebecca Ann's gasp of terror and distress in response. I think Henry might have controlled his temper when poor Edward was so near his end, she said with an asperity which disturbed slightly the roseate curves of her beautiful mouth. Okay. Um, of course he did not know, murmured Rebecca Ann in a faint tone. Of course he did not know it, said Caroline quickly. She turned on her sister with a strange, sharp look of suspicion. Then she shrank, as if from the other's possible answer. Rebecca gasped again. (gasps) Oh, that was good. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't waste your time in grad school. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well trained. (laughs) I love that we clearly have the one sister who, like, went to England, picked up an accent, Uh and didn't bother to lose it. She's Miss Annoying Study Abroad. Yeah. That's who Caroline is. <laughs> Let's we'll see if I remember which one she is throughout <laughs> the story. It's gonna it's gonna take a little effort, but I'm I'm gonna commit to it. <laughs> the married sister, Mrs. Emma Brigham, was now sitting up straight in her chair. She had ceased rocking and was eyeing them both intently with a sudden accentuation of family likeness in her face. This is the hot one, right? I think yeah, I think yeah. so. I think this is Miss Thickbottom. What do you mean? said she impartially to them both. Then she, too, seemed to shrink before a possible answer. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. I'm I'm distracted because Ken is trying so hard not to reveal that he is silently quaking with laughter behind his mic. Was it Thickbottom that did it? Yeah, it was Thickbottom. (laughs) Because the underscoring to this episode, to this story for the rest of the episode in my brain is going to be, you're gonna, gonna take, take me, me home tonight. tonight. Of course, of course. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Okay. Sweet, (laughs) merciful crap. (laughs) That's a good phrase. (laughs) Sweet, merciful crap. Oh, God. Okay, that's good. Okay. Um. (laughs) Dear listener, part of the reason for the extra punchy level of this episode Uh. is because, among other things, we are recording in the Uh. same space. We're not recording remotely for the first time. That's so true. Since West Virginia. Yeah, in a long time. So Um, it's like I can see I can see every twitch of your face as you're trying not to laugh. Which makes this which (laughs) makes this the first time since I believe November I have recorded an episode with another human being in the room so it's feeling very it's like the energy is super different (laughs) yeah it's fun (laughs) okay (laughs) so um what do you mean said she impartially Uh, don't ask me which she (laughs) to them both she then too seemed to shrink before a possible answer she even laughed an evasive sort of laugh so we were just on track with the story we were laughing like the girls are laughing Mm, yeah it's the british one (laughs) nobody means anything said caroline firmly she rose and crossed the room toward the door with grim decisiveness where are you going asked mrs brigham i have something to see to replied caroline and the others at once knew by her tone that she had some solemn and sad duty to perform in the chamber of death (laughs) duty (laughs) Duty. (laughs) she's gonna duty in the death room (laughs) she's gonna go poop on the dead body (laughs) Oh, I'm five years old. Okay. <laughs> Which, in fairness, that makes sense. I think that is. Oh, I think God. that is a British tradition. So, if she went to study abroad in England, she would have picked that up along with the accent. A Cleveland steamer. Yeah. Plus post post mortem. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Except, oh. except in England, they call it a Suffolk steamer. Okay, great. Because Cleveland is in Ohio. <laughs> oh, said Mrs. Brigham. <laughs> That's all she has to say to it. Oh, just oh. After the door had closed behind Caroline, she turned to Rebecca. Did Henry have many words with him? She asked. They were talking very loud, replied Rebecca. Replied Rebecca evasively. Mrs. Brigham looked at her. She had not resumed rocking. She still sat up straight with a slight knitting of intensity on her fair forehead between the pretty rippling curves of her auburn hair. Did you ever hear anything? She asked in a low voice with a glance toward the door. I was just across the hall in the south parlor and that door was open and this door ajar, replied Rebecca with a slight flush. Then you must have. I couldn't help it. Everything? Most of it. What was it? The old story. I suppose Henry was mad, as he always was, because Edward was living on here for nothing, when he had wasted all the money father left him. Rebecca nodded with a fearful glance at the door. Oh, Rebecca's a little busybody. When Emma spoke again, her vo- Was this Emma the whole time? Okay, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, did the, the British one was the one who went- The British one was the one who went to poop on the dead body, so she's not there oh. anymore. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, just take note, listener. Okay, so this is Emma and Rebecca talking. (laughs) Oh, poop is funny. Okay. (laughs) When Emma spoke again, her voice was still more hushed. I know how he felt, said she. It must have looked to him as if Edward was living at his expense, but he wasn't. No, he wasn't. 
And Edward had a right here, according to the terms of father's will, and Henry ought to have remembered it. Yes, he ought. Did he say hard things? Pretty hard, from what I hear. <laughs> what? <laughs> I heard him tell Edward. They must be from Philadelphia. <laughs> the city of brotherly love. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I heard him tell Edward that he had no business here at all, and he thought he had better go away. What did Edward say? That he would stay here as long as he lived, and afterward, too, if he was a mind to, and he would like to see Henry get him out. And then, what? Then he laughed. What did Henry say? I didn't hear him say anything, but... But what? I saw him when he came out of this room. He looked mad? You've seen him when he looked so. Emma nodded. The expression of horror on her face had deepened. Do you remember that time he killed the cat because she had scratched him? <laughs> All right. Don't like this guy. Glad he's dead. Yes. No, he's not dead. This is the other one. Oh, frick. I think. Wait, I think. Oh, I Which don't... one died? Oh, yeah. Ed... Edward died. Henry's angry because the cat scratched him. Yes. Henry had words with Edward in the study the night before Edward yeah. died. Okay, so Edward's dead. And Caroline's pooping on him. Okay. And Henry is murdering cats. And Henry killed for the cat. Scratching. Because she's which is literally what they are alive to do. Okay. Yes, don't. Then Caroline re-entered the room. She went up to the stove in which a wood fire was burning. It was a cold, gloomy day of fall. How appropriate, there's a fire. And she warmed her hands, which were reddened from recent washing in cold water. Mrs. Brigham looked at her and hesitated. She glanced at the door, which was still ajar. It did not easily shut being still swollen with the damp weather of the summer. She rose and pushed it together with a sharp thud which jarred the house. Rebecca started painfully with a half-exclamation. Caroline looked at her disapprovingly. "'It is time you controlled your nerves, Rebecca,' she said. Mrs. Brigham, returning from the closed door, said imperiously that it ought to be fixed. It shut so hard. "'It will shrink enough after we have had the fire a few days,' replied Caroline." I think Henry ought to be ashamed of himself for talking as he did to Edward, said Mrs. Brigham abruptly, but in an almost inaudible voice. Hush, said Caroline, with a glance of actual fear at the closed door. Nobody can hear with the door shut. I say again, I think Henry ought to be ashamed of himself. I shouldn't think he'd ever get over it, having words with poor Edward the very night before he died. Edward was a fair sight better dispositioned than Henry with all his faults. I never heard him speak a cross word, unless he spoke cross to Henry that last night. I don't know, but he did from what Rebecca overheard. Not so much cross as sort of soft and sweet and aggravating, sniffed Rebecca. <laughs> what the, those don't sound like aggravating qualities, but okay. I don't know. If Rebecca's you're like, too, what a wuss. Too, yeah, like too, too sort of simpering and ingratiating, guess, that yeah, can be. I guess, I guess that's what she means. What do you really think ailed Edward? asked Emma in hardly more than a whisper. Henry killed him because he scratched him. <laughs> right. She did not look at her sister. I know you said that he had terrible pains in his stomach and had spasms, but what do you think made him have them? Henry called it gastric trouble. You know Edward has always had dyspepsia. Mrs. Brigham hesitated a moment. Was there any talk of an examination? said she. Then Caroline turned on her fiercely. No, said she in a terrible voice. No. 
the three sisters' souls seemed to meet on one common ground of terrified understanding through their eyes. Well, well oh, I'm glad they understand. Th- yeah, they know what killed him, but we don't. Okay. The old-fashioned latch of the door was heard to rattle, and a push from without made the door shake ineffectually. It's Henry, Rebecca sighed rather than whispered. Mrs. Brigham settled herself after a noiseless rush across the floor into her rocking chair again and was swaying back and forth with her head comfortably leaning back when the door at last yielded and Henry Glynn entered. The cat killer. The, the way the scene was set up, I, I imagine that it was like, it's Henry. And then much like a horror movie, it mm-hmm. took him like 20 minutes to figure out how to open the <laughs> fucking door. That's a good bit. That's a that's a good comedy horror bit. That's very like, like Shaun of the Dead. You watch you watch the handle spin, spin. a full like seven hundred and twenty <laughs> degrees, and then the Velociraptor pokes its head through. Yep, and then he entered. He cast a covertly sharp, comprehensive glance at Mrs. Brigham with her elaborate calm. At Rebecca, quietly huddled in the corner of the sofa with her handkerchief to. With her, with her handkerchief to her face and only one small, uncovered, reddened ear as attentive as a dog's. <laughs> one, red, oh. one red ear poking out. And at Caroline, sitting with a strained composure in her armchair by the stove. She met his eyes quite firmly with a look of inscrutable fear and defiance of the fear and of him. Okay. Henry Glynn looked more like this sister than the others. Both had the same hard delicacy of form and aquilinity of feature. What does that mean? Water? Something to do with water? No. Oh. Very much no. From the base aquiline, like an eagle. Oh, aguila is eagle in Spanish. Yes, Hmm. that makes sense. Fly like an eagle. Okay, there we go. To the sea. Fly like an eagle. Spirit carry me. I want to fly. Uh, particularly of a person's nose, hooked or curved, okay. like an eagle's beak. Okay, okay. So they got bird face. Yeah. Okay. So Henry Glynn looked more like this sister, Caroline, than the others. Both had the same hard delicacy of form and aquilinity of feature, bird like. They confronted each other with the pitiless immovability of two statues in whose marble lineaments emotions were fixed for all eternity. Damn. (laughs) That is a great sentence. That tells you everything you need to know about these two people. (laughs) That's good writing. Then Henry Glynn smiled and the smile transformed his face. He looked suddenly years younger and an almost boyish recklessness appeared in his face. He flung himself into a chair with a gesture which was bewildering from its incongruity with his general appearance. He leaned his head back, flung one leg over the other, and looked laughingly at Mrs. Brigham. I declare, Emma, you grow younger every year, he said. (laughs) She flushed a little and her placid mouth widened at the corners. She was susceptible to praise. Our thoughts today ought to belong to the one of us who will never grow older said Caroline in a hard voice. Henry looked at her, still smiling. Of course, we none of us forget that, said he in a deep, gentle voice. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) But we have to speak to the living, Caroline, and I have not seen Emma for a long time, and the living are as dear as the dead. Not to me, said Caroline. (laughs) Damn, girl. (laughs) 
She rose and went abruptly out of the room again. Rebecca also rose and hurried after her, sobbing loudly. <laughs> okay, Rebecca, I'm getting very much, um, uh, uh. Masha? Yeah, or, or, um. All in black and just weeping and yeah, everything. Yeah, or, or like Mrs. Bennett in Pride and Prejudice. Like, I'm getting my nerves, my nerves. Like, that's the vibe of getting, yeah. Um, Henry looked slowly after them. Caroline is completely unstrung, said he. <laughs> Mrs. Brigham rocked. A confidence in him, inspired by his manner, was stealing over her. Out of that confidence, she spoke quite easily and naturally. His death was very sudden, said she. Henry's eyelids quivered slightly, but his gaze was unswerving. Yes, said he. It was very sudden. He was sick only a few hours. What did you call it? gastric you did not think of an examination there was no need i am perfectly certain as to the cause of his death suddenly mrs brigham felt a creep as of some live horror over her very soul her flesh prickled with cold before an inflection of his voice she rose tottering on weak knees where are you going asked henry in a strange breathless voice Mrs. Brigham said something incoherent about some sewing which she had to do, some black for the funeral, and was out of the room. She went up to the front chamber which she occupied. Caroline was there. She went close to her and took her hands, and the two sisters looked at each other. Don't speak. Don't. I won't have it, said Caroline finally in an awful whisper. I won't, replied Emma. That afternoon, the three sisters were in the study. What? Wait. We're jumping ahead, but something just very creepy happened in that yeah. moment. Like, he Henry, I'm getting a threatening presence from Henry. This, well, yeah. we got to read on. We're skipping um, forward. That afternoon, the three sisters were in the study. Mrs. Brigham was hemming some black material. At last, she laid her work on her lap. It's no use. I cannot see to sew another stitch until we have a light, said she. Caroline, who was writing some letters at the table, turned to Rebecca in her usual place on the sofa. Rebecca, you had better get a lamp, said she. Rebecca started up. Even in the dusk, her face showed her agitation. It doesn't seem to me that we need a lamp quite yet, she said in a piteous, pleading voice like a <laughs> child's. <laughs> yes, we do, returned Mrs. Brigham, peremptorily. <laughs> Okay. I can't see to sew another stitch. Rebecca rose and left the room <laughs> again. Present Everybody, just, this is this is a story about entering and leaving rooms. It is, and, and being passive aggressive. <laughs> it feels like a very um, sort of uh, British <laughs> comedy of manners. Right, right. Everyone's but, too polite to like really say what they're thinking, and people are overcome by their nerves and like. But if you set a British comedy of manners in like a really depressing <laughs> house where the brother just died right. and the other brother is probably abusive, totally, totally, and like maybe killed the brother, or, maybe killed the brother, definitely killed the cat, definitely killed the cat, <laughs> and like knows, uh, yeah. No examination of the button, like... Mm. Plus, we're fairly certain that there's gonna be a ghost. Because right. one of the, the dead brother's last words were, I will stay here until the end of my days uh -huh. and beyond. And beyond, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> oh, God. 
Uh, so Rebecca rose and left the room. She just can't ever deal. She can't deal. <laughs> Presently, she entered with a lamp. She set it on the table, an old-fashioned card table, which was placed against the opposite wall from the window. That opposite wall was taken up with three doors. The one small space was occupied by the table. What have you put that lamp over there for? Asked Mrs. Brigham, with more of impatience than her voice usually revealed. Why didn't you set it in the hall and have done with it? Neither Caroline, neither Caroline nor I can see if it is on that table. I thought perhaps you would move, replied Rebecca hoarsely. <laughs> if I do move, we both can't sit at that table. Caroline has her paper all spread around. Why don't you set the lamp on the study table in the middle of the room? Then we can both see. Oh my God. This is so, this is so sisters. Rebecca hesitated. Her face was very pale. She looked with an appeal that was fairly agonizing at her sister Caroline. Why don't you put the lamp on this table as she says? Asked Caroline almost fiercely. Why do you act so, Rebecca? Rebecca took the lamp and set it on the table in the middle of the room without another word. Then she seated herself on the sofa and placed a hand over her eyes as if to shade them and remained so. <laughs> God, what an image. Yep. <laughs> Does the light hurt your eyes? And is that the reason why you didn't want the lamp? Asked Mrs. Brigham kindly. Oh, now she's kind. Dang. <laughs> I always like to sit in the dark, replied Rebecca chokingly. Then she snatched her handkerchief hastily from her pocket and began to weep. Totally, Masha. Totally. Yep. Caroline continued to write, Mrs. Brigham to sew. Suddenly, Mrs. Brigham, as she sewed, glanced at the opposite wall. The glance became a steady stare. She looked intently, her work suspended in her hands. Then she looked away again and took a few more stitches. Then she looked again, and again turned to her task. At last, she laid her work in her lap and stared concentratedly. She looked from the wall round the room, taking note of the various objects. Then she turned to her sisters. What is that? said she. What? asked Caroline harshly. That strange shadow on the wall, replied Mrs. Brigham. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. <laughs> Rebecca sat with her face hidden. Caroline dipped her pen in the inkstand. Why don't you turn around and look? asked Mrs. Brigham in a wondering and somewhat aggrieved way. I am in a hurry to finish this letter, replied Caroline shortly. Mrs. Brigham rose, her work slipping to the floor, and began walking round the room, moving various articles of furniture with her eyes on the shadow. Then suddenly she shrieked out, Look at this awful shadow! What is it? Caroline, look! Look! Rebecca, look! What is it? All Mrs. Brigham's triumphant placidity was gone. Her handsome face was livid with horror. She stood stiffly pointing at the shadow. Then, after a shuddering glance at the wall, Rebecca burst out in a wild wail. Oh, Caroline, there it is again! There it is again! Caroline Glynn, you look, said Mrs. Brigham. Look, what is that dreadful shadow? Caroline rose, turned, and stood confronting the wall. How should I know, said she. It has been there every night since he died, cried Rebecca. Every night? Yes, he died Thursday, and this is Saturday. That makes three nights, said Caroline rigidly. She stood as if holding her calm with a vice of concentrated will. It, 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 it looks like, like, stammered Mrs. Brigham in a tone of intense horror. I know what it looks like well enough, said Caroline. I've got eyes in my head. 
looks like Edward! Burst out Rebecca in a sort of frenzy of fear. Only... Yes, it does, assented Mrs. Brigham, whose horror-stricken tone matched her sister's. Only... Oh, it is awful. What is it, Caroline? I ask you again, how should I know? Replied Caroline. I see it there like you. How should I know any more than you? It must be something in the room, said Mrs. Brigham, staring wildly around. We moved everything in the room the first night it came, said Rebecca. It is not anything in the room. Caroline turned upon her with a sort of fury. Of course it is something in the room, said she. How you act? What do you mean talking so? Of course it is something in the room. Of course it is, agreed Mrs. Brigham, looking at Caroline suspiciously. It must be something in the room. It is not anything in the room, repeated Rebecca with obstinate horror. <laughs> Rebecca's just like, no chill. So, no, we, we've been like, over that. There's no. 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 Would you listen to me? It's a ghost. We are living in a horror movie right now. Um, you're not a Doctor Who person at all, are you? No, okay. but I know you are. Yes. So there is the one of one of the um one of the creatures that the doctor encounters at one point uh is called the Vashtanarada. And the Vashtanarada is uh an alien creature that basically appears as a shadow. Ooh. Um and the idea is that every culture throughout the universe has an irrational fear of the dark, except that they're wrong. It's not irrational. Oh, God. Because the Vashtanarada doesn't live in every shadow, but it can live in any shadow. Oh and if your shadow touches it, it will eat you. Oh, oh my God. That is terrifying. Oh, God. Anyway, that's what this is making me think of. The door opened suddenly and Henry Glynn entered <laughs> to make a bad situation worse. He began to speak. Then his eyes followed the direction of the others. He stood staring at the shadow on the wall. What is that? he demanded in a strange voice. It must be due to something in the room, Mrs. Brigham said faintly. Henry Glynn stood and stared a moment longer. His face showed a gamut of emotions, horror, conviction, then furious incredulity. Suddenly he began hastening hither and thither about the room. He moved the furniture with fierce jerks, turning ever to see the effect upon the shadow on the wall. Not a line of its terrible outlines wavered. This is actually a terrifying prospect. Yep. Imagine you move a bunch of shit and the shadow just doesn't move. It oh just, my yeah. God, that actually is so scary. This is a good one. It must be something in the room, he declared in a voice which seemed to snap like a lash. His face changed. The inmost secrecy of his nature seemed evident upon his face until one almost lost sight of the lineaments. Rebecca stood close to her sofa, regarding him with woeful, fascinated eyes. Mrs. Brigham clutched Caroline's hand. They both stood in a corner out of his way. For a few moments, he raged about the room like a caged wild animal. He moved every piece of furniture. When the moving of a piece did not affect the shadow, he flung it to the floor. Then suddenly, he desisted. He laughed. <laughs> what an absurdity, he said easily. <laughs> Such a to-do about a shadow. That's so, assented Mrs. Brigham in a scared voice, which she tried to make natural. As she spoke, she lifted a chair near her. I think you have broken the chair that Edward was fond of, said Caroline. Terror and wrath 
were struggling for expression on her face. Her mouth was set, her eyes shrinking. Henry lifted the chair with a show of anxiety. Mm, just as good as ever, he said pleasantly. He laughed again, looking at his sisters. <laughs> Did I scare you, he said. I should think you might be used to me by this time. You know my way of wanting to leap to the bottom of a mystery, and that shadow does look queer, like, and I thought if there was any way of accounting for it, I would like to without any delay. <laughs> you don't seem to have succeeded, remarked Caroline dryly. Cold! <laughs> Snap! With a, I'm proud of that read. With a slight glance at the wall. Henry's eyes followed hers, and he quivered perceptibly. Oh, there is no accounting for shadows, he said, and laughed again. A man is a fool to try to account for shadows. Then the supper bell rang, and they all left the room, but Henry kept his back to the wall, as did indeed the others. Henry led the way with an... Wait, what? Why would you turn your back, back on the... the yeah, Hell no! No, yeah, keep that thing in your sight! Oh my god. I would not turn my back on that nope, wall. Nope. I would back out of the room and yeah. I would lock the and, door mm -hmm, behind me. Absolutely. And then I would burn the house down. <laughs> right. Collect the insurance money. Right. And move to Australia. <laughs> Just leave immediately. Oh God. Don't pack your shit. Nope. 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 But people are stupid in horror movies. Just, they just, just are. Burn that bastard to the ground. Mm-mm. <laughs> Henry led the way with an alert motion like a boy. Rebecca brought up the rear. She could scarcely walk, her knees trembled so. I can't sit in that room again this evening, she whispered to Caroline after supper. Very well, we will sit in the south room, replied Caroline. I think we will sit in the south parlor, she said aloud. It isn't as damp as the study, and I have a cold. <laughs> That's the reason. <laughs> so they all sat in the south room with their sewing. Henry read the newspaper, his chair drawn close to the lamp on the table. About nine o'clock, he rose abruptly and crossed the hall to the study. The three sisters looked at one another. Mrs. Brigham rose, folded her rustling skirts compactly round her, and began tiptoeing toward the door. W what are you going to do? inquired Rebecca agitatedly. I am going to see what he is about, replied Mrs. Brigham cautiously. As she spoke, she pointed to the study door across the hall. It was ajar. Henry had striven to pull it together behind him, but it had somehow swollen beyond the limit with curious speed. It was still ajar, and a streak of light showed from top to bottom. Mrs. Brigham folded her skirt so tightly that her bulk with its swelling curves was revealed in a black silk sheath, and she went with a slow toddle across the hall to the study door. <laughs> toddle, that's a really cute image. She stood there, her eye at the crack. <laughs> in the south room, Rebecca stopped sewing and sat watching with dilated eyes. Caroline sewed steadily. What Mrs. Brigham, standing at the crack in the study door, saw was this. Henry Glynn, evidently reasoning that the source of the strange shadow must be between the table on which the lamp stood and the wall... Yeah, that's how shadows work. ...was making systematic passes and thrusts with an old sword which had belonged to his father all over and through the intervening space. Not an inch was left unpierced. He seemed to have divided the space into mathematical sections. He brandished the sword with a sort of cold fury and calculation. The blade gave out flashes of light... The shadow remained unmoved. Mrs. Brigham, watching, felt herself cold with horror. 
Finally, Henry ceased and stood with the sword in hand and raised as if to strike, surveying the shadow on the wall threateningly. Mrs. Brigham toddled back across the hall and shut the south room door behind her before she related what she had seen. He looked like a demon, she said again. Have you got any of that old wine in the house, Caroline? I don't feel as if I could stand much more. <laughs> Honestly, this is what I would do. Yeah, I would begin drinking. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice brother's dead. Yeah. And murder brother is going crazy and swinging a sword. Mm -hmm. Want a drink? Yeah, want a drink. <laughs> and both sisters are kind of rude. They're, they're not the nicest -er. <laughs> Yes, there's plenty, said Caroline. You can have some when you go to bed. I think we had all better take some, said Mrs. Brigham. <laughs> oh, Caroline, what? Don't ask, don't speak, said Caroline. No, I I'm not going to, replied Mrs. Brigham, but... Soon the three sisters went to their chambers, and the south parlor was deserted. Caroline called to Henry in the study to put out the light before he came upstairs. They had been gone about an hour when he came into the room bringing the lamp which had stood in the study. He set it on the table and waited a few minutes, pacing up and down. His face was terrible, his fair complexion showed livid, and his blue eyes seemed dark blanks of awful reflections. Then he took up the lamp and returned to the library. He set the lamp on the center table, and the shadow sprang out on the wall. Again, he studied the furniture and moved it about, but deliberately, with none of his former frenzy. Nothing affected the shadow. Then he returned to the south room with the lamp and again waited. Again, he returned to the study and placed the lamp on the table and the shadow sprang out upon the wall. It was midnight before he went upstairs. Mrs. Brigham and the other sisters, who could not sleep, heard him. The next day was the funeral. Okay. <laughs> that evening, the family sat in the south room. Some relatives were with them. Nobody entered the study until Henry carried a lamp in there after the others had retired for the night. He saw again the shadow on the wall leap to an awful life before the light. So it's the lamp. Okay. I don't know. But it seems to be only in that room, right? Because right. he brought it into a different room. And it didn't. And paced up and down and didn't see anything. Right. Okay, yes. Yeah, the ghost is haunting that one room, I think. The next morning at breakfast, Henry Glynn announced that he had to go to the city for three days. The sisters looked at him with surprise. He very seldom left home, and just now his practice had been neglected on account of Edward's death. How can you leave your patients now? asked Mrs. Brigham wonderingly. Oh my god, he's totally based on the non-practicing doctor husband. <laughs> the alcoholic yeah. sleeping powder uh -huh. addicted. Yep, yep. I don't know how to, but there is no other way, replied Henry easily. I have had a telegram from Dr. Mitford. Consultation? inquired Mrs. Brigham. I have business, replied Henry. That's cryptic. <laughs> Dick. Dr. Mitford was an old classmate of his who lived in a neighboring city and who occasionally called upon him in the case of a consultation. After he had gone, Mrs. Brigham said to Caroline that, after all, Henry had not said that he was going to consult with Dr. Mitford, and she thought it very strange. Everything is very strange, said Rebecca with a shudder. What do you mean? inquired Caroline. Nothing, replied Rebecca. Nobody entered the study that day, nor the next. The third day, Henry was expected home, but he did not arrive, and the last train from the city had come. I call it pretty queer work, said Mrs. Brigham. The idea of a doctor leaving his patients at such a time as this, and the idea of a consultation lasting three days? 
There is no sense in it, and now he has not come. I don't understand it for my part. I don't either, said Rebecca. They were all in the south parlor. There was no light in the study. The door was ajar. Presently, Mrs. Brigham rose. She could not have told why. Something seemed to impel her, some will outside her own. She went out of the room, again wrapping her rustling skirts round that she might pass noiselessly, and began pushing at the swollen door of the study. "'She has not got any lamp,' said Rebecca in a shaking voice. Caroline, who was writing letters, rose again, took the only remaining lamp in the room, and followed her sister. Rebecca had risen, but she stood trembling, not venturing to follow. The doorbell rang, but the others did not hear it. It was on the south door on the other side of the house from the study. Rebecca, after hesitating until the bell rang the second time, went to the door. She remembered that the servant was out. Caroline and her sister Emma entered the study. Caroline set the lamp on the table. They looked at the wall, and there were two shadows. The sisters stood clutching each other, staring at the awful things on the wall. Then Rebecca came in, staggering, with a telegram in her hand. Here is a, a telegram, she gasped. Henry is dead. The end. <laughs> Creep city. Creep. That Creep was city. great. That was really fun. Creepy, creepy. Oh, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Ooh, two on the wall now. But, like, my thing also is, what is this? The shadows on the wall. So there was a, a hint there in the title that we were going to get more than one. The we shadows just on the we wall. We just didn't notice, yeah, because we were only talking about that one shadow, the whole story. But I'm like, what was, is it just that the, the brother was hanging around? Or was it that, like, he was haunting Henry until Henry came and joined him. Like, I want, I want more. I want the backstory. Like, did Henry kill Edward? And so Edward was like, I'm going to fucking hang here on this wall until you go so crazy that you leave the house. And then like, I'm going to get you. Like, you know what I mean? Is it, did one brother kill the other and then vice versa happened, but from beyond the grave, like that's really fun. But all we know is like, Dead brother, shadow on the wall. Another dead brother, another shadow on the wall. It's so creepy. And like, what are they doing there? Are they, uh, you know, they because they don't they didn't do anything to the sisters mm -mm. or to or to Henry. They just the one shadow literally. Edward just chilled on the wall. He well, just was on the wall. Un unless Ed the Edward shadow did kill the brother. Like right. we don't we don't know that that shadow didn't kill Henry. Right. He had to leave the house to do it though. Because it couldn't go anywhere but that one wall in the house. Or it didn't. I don't know. What are the rules of the ghost? I maybe, want... maybe the shadow, you the know, shadow ghost. I'm going to write to Mary. Took over. Well, um, it'll take a while for her to get back to you since she's been dead for 90 years. No, she'll, but I mean, she wrote this. I, I think she can communicate from the beyond. Back, yeah, that's probably true. Me, you know? yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. She seems to have well, a connection. And absolute worst case scenario, <laughs> you send her the letter and it'll just sit in her mailbox until time restarts. <laughs> oh, you think time's circular? For the sake of this conversation, I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> Your eyes say no, but it's a fun theory, isn't it? We're going to go with yes. Time just keeps going. And if you live long enough, you'll start over you'll again start at the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah, I want to see the Big Bang. I want to be like a little floating molecule of carbon or something. Well, strictly speaking, you were. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, dude. <laughs> it's true. 
because matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed, only transformed and it's moved. We're, so we're all stardust. So you were at the Big Bang. I love that. And you'll be there when it all collapses. Oh wow. Wow. That's that's not as fun, but it'll be something. It'll, it'll be, be something, something to see. <laughs> something to see. And like there is there is scientific reason to believe that when it all collapses, it will collapse in on itself and become denser and denser and denser until it explodes and starts over again. Right. Wait, so the the whole the universe will just become a black hole in itself. Yeah, so that's that is that is one of the um the working theories is that the the Big Bang that was the beginning of the universe as we know it was not the first Big Bang. Right, right. The universe is forever in in a uh, um uh, a cycle of expanding, expanding and expanding and, and right. expanding until basically it like expands back in on itself. That is wild. And then so it like it's it's sort of like expanding across a sphere mm-hmm. and when it gets to the other side it's it's now contracting in on itself. Wow. And so it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it gets so dense that it has nowhere else to go and that creates a spark and it explodes and that's the next big the, bang. And wild. then it does the same thing going back around the yeah. the the sphere of the space-time continuum the other direction. I mean, sounds like a good theory. It reminds me of like a wave that like goes out and then yeah. it crests and it comes back in and then it goes out and it crests and it, I mean, yeah. pretty cool working theory. Um, did you see the film Don't Look Up? No, I did not. Huh. Okay. Well then separate from that, would you like to be around for the end of the world? Yes. I kind of feel like I would too. Yeah. I feel like there's, I mean, obviously like knock on wood, like I hope I'm not, you know, I hope the world's around for a long time and that mankind isn't so stupid that we um, fuck it up royally enough that, uh, you know, the planet gets too hot and explodes during our lifetimes. But were it to, like, I don't know, there's something comforting to me about experiencing that with every other person on, in the world. It's like, like at least we're all in it together. Yeah. It, like kind of beats dying alone. I don't know. Um, It's, it's the, so... <laughs> Sorry, this is so morbid, but I think about these things. Um, so (laughs) I'm, I am, I am not a person of overwhelming faith. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a strong belief in a, at least a literal afterlife. Mm -hmm. Um, like I don't, I don't necessarily think that our consciousness maintains, Mm -hmm. um, continuity and gets to move on to some other place where we meet up with all the people who have died before us and we wait and get to see the people who die after us. And we get like, I don't necessarily think that our consciousness and soul and the thing that makes us us continues in its form and we'll get to witness the end. Mm -hmm. And most of the time that doesn't bother me because I think that what happens is like all of that does continue, but what happens is it it's sort of fed into the other things in the yeah. universe. It's kind of a form of reincarnation mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and ordinarily that doesn't bother me, but the one thing about it that does bother me is that if that is true, it means I don't get to know how it ends. I know. I know. I, I feel that. I'm it, so like, curious. It, it feels like I'm going to get to, you know read a few really interesting chapters of a uh-huh. book and, yeah. but I don't really get to know how it started oh, and I, I definitely don't get to know how it ends I know that and is that's, infuriating that's the, that's the one thing and that's that's why whenever people are like so if you um if uh if a vampire came up to you and mm-hmm. said I can make you live forever but you have to turn into a vampire I'd be like 
Oh, I think yeah, I do. Yeah, I think I do, do it. it. I yeah. think I do it because <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I'm so curious to see how I it all know, ends. Me too. Did you have to read Tuck Everlasting in middle or middle no. school or high school? That was like one of our you know summer reading books, or I forget it was in the curriculum somewhere. And the the entire point of the book is to it teaches you that basically this this girl meets you know this teenage girl meets this beautiful teenage boy who we of course were all in love with the actor who played him in the movie version sure naturally <laughs> and it was um rory gilmore before that show um, oh, alexis okay. Bledel. yep amazing great movie um but the whole the whole moral of the story is he basically his family accidentally stumbles upon the fountain of youth in the forest and so him and his family live forever and they never age and they never change but the downside to that is they have to watch everyone they love who's not who hasn't drank from the fountain die so they're all fucked up about it whatever and he's basically like drink the water stay with me forever like come be my wife forever and we'll never look older than 16 and it'll be great and and and, you know the moral of the book is you're supposed to be like she chose not to because like life is precious because it's finite and all this stuff i'm like i don't know maybe i'm crazy or stupid but that book i was like no i would drink the water (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I would absolutely drink that water. I know that's the whole um, point is that you're not supposed to want to, but I do. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so this is a, a long way of saying I'm going to get in touch with Mary and I'm going to find out the end because right. this is a pet peeve I have, like movies or books that end. But I, I'm, again, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, I got to so just you, learn to let go. But no, I want you know the what, whole story. You know what it sounds like to me? It wow. sounds to me. Like it's time for you to write a fan fiction sequel. <laughs> You're right. I am a hypocrite because I left them in Medius Race, which is to my to my dozens of hungry readers was pretty unfair. I found them, by the way. Excellent. Oh, I found them. They're there. They're... <laughs> oh my god. More on that. <laughs> Uh, also, dear listener, if you would like to hear a newly penned sequel to The Shadows on the Wall, uh, please let us know. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what, if, if we yeah, get I might do it, if, if we get if we get enough responses, uh, I'll uh, I'll push for that to happen. Oh, my God, I might do it. This would be a fun way to dip my toe back into writing. Okay, I'm going to think about this. Great. Uh, so, um, <laughs> dear listener, let us know what you thought about that episode. Send us an email or a Facebook message or a Twitter tweet or a... Um, <laughs> a Twitter tweet. A Twitter tweet uh, or something on Instagram or, you know, any of the social medias. Just look for Campfire Classics Podcast or shoot us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. And... Uh, when uh, when you send us that email, please include this week's secret passcode, which is pooping on a corpse. <laughs> and if you would like to hear the freshly penned sequel <sighs> to Shadows on the Wall, also include the phrase, just do it. <laughs> Dang. Pressure in me. Yep. <laughs> um, I think that's everything on my end. You got anything to say before we sign off? Are you gonna take me home tonight? Oh, down beside a red light. Oh, you gonna let it all hang out? Fat bottom girls, you make the rocking world go round. Ooh-hoo-ah. I'm pretty sure that was just under 17 seconds, so we should be good for most of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, y'all. So, 
Um, this has been uh, Queen, apparently. Um, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. <laughs> Mostly.